Hello and welcome back to the Shoot Hub podcast, the podcast that makes running your shoot easier. My name is George Brown, editor at Guns on Pegs and Shoot Hub, and my colleague's name is Digby Taylor, managing director of Guns on Pegs. Diggers, what's new in your world now that shooting season's over? Oh, what's new? Uh, good question. I um, Not a lot, really. I mean, uh, looking forward to starting fishing, really. Uh, seeing they've been catching some salmon up north, and uh, that's got me my me uh, desperate to head out to Scotland. But um, this time of year is quite busy sorting out shoots and starting advertising and that sort of thing. So, yeah, all, all, all hands to deck. Um, how about you, George? What's new? You've been pigeon shooting recently, haven't you? I have, yeah. I mean, I wasn't wildly successful, but I was starting to feel a little bit kind of, you know, jumpy. So at the weekend, I just went out and stood in a wood, did a bit of roost shooting. Uh, obviously, I missed the first two or three birds, but managed to knock three out of the sky in the end. So that was a nice little supper for me. It was actually quite a relief because in the morning, I'd gone trout fishing at the local lake and just completely got my ass kicked. <laughs> it was very depressing watching trout swim past your fly without even looking at it. I don't really know what's going on. Oh, there's nothing worse, is there? Nothing worse. Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, so, Digby, this is episode four. Um, so I think, you know, for all the newcomers, I think it'd be a good idea to give all the nice boys and girls who are listening just a quick explanation of what the Shoot Hub podcast is all about. Yeah, fantastic. So the Shoot Hub podcast is for anyone with an interest in running a shoot of any size or shape. That might be a big commercial estate, um, it might be a private shoot that's run for the benefit of friends and family, um, or it might be a knockabout farm shoot or syndicate like the ones George and I are involved in on our family farms. Um, you know, really small little affairs. Um, you could be an owner, you could be a keeper, an underkeeper, a keen syndicate member on a DIY syndicate, or just someone who's interested in the, uh, the behind the scenes of uh, all things shoot management. We're going to talk about some practical stuff some technical stuff at, at times, as you'll have heard from our last podcast, and hopefully provide some helpful tips and have a bit of fun whilst we're at it. Yeah, that's right. So each episode, we are going to be joined by a different special guest, an expert at what they do, and they will try to educate Digby and I, and hopefully everybody listening, uh, about their particular field. So Diggers, who have we got this time? Um, we have got Jamie Horners today. Really excited about this one. A game feed specialist at Marsden's Game Feeds. Being a shoot manager by trade, Jamie's got a wealth of experience when it comes to running shoots. Most notably, I think he was heavily involved in the turnaround of Eiffel Downs shoot in Sussex, um, taking it to its current heights by way of a Purdy Award for Game and Conservation in 2020. Really keen to hear a bit more about that later, Jamie. But uh, welcome to the Shoot Hub podcast. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Really nice to see you. How are you getting on, Jamie? Yeah, all good. It's our busy time of the year with the game feed. Um, busy pricing and budgeting. It's uh, phones not stopped this uh, since the shooting season finished. <laughs> Everyone wanted to know what's happening. Are we getting birds? Are we getting eggs, chicks, prices? Yeah, yeah. It's a really interesting time, isn't it? Uh, and hopefully we're going to get on to all of that stuff later, birds and prices and so on. Uh, but first, to kick things off and, and to help our listeners to get you uh, get to know you a bit we're going to start off with some quick fire either or type questions so jamie just say the first thing that comes into your head um i'll go first uh beating or picking up Ooh, beating pheasant or partridge partridge exmoor or yorkshire yorkshire 
<laughs> I knew that one. Come on, uh, take back. Yeah, silly question. Walked up or driven? Ooh, I should say driven, doing what I do, but I love walked up. I think what if if it's a personal choice, I'd love walked up shooting. Yeah, definitely personal. Absolutely. Uh, Labradors or Spaniels? Labrador. Again, fairly obvious that one. Um, slow gin or damson vodka? Slow gin. Roast pheasant or venison casserole? Ooh, I'll, I'll go for the pheasant, I think. Just. Um, wellies or boots? Uh, wellies. Wales or Scotland? Oh, now then. I'm going to have to say Scotland. <laughs> um, and finally, finally, fishing or shooting? Shooting. Definitely, 100%. Jamie, you were very hesitant about that Wales or Scotland question. Um, what's the what's the thought process? I've got lots of friends in both countries. It was a, it was a tricky one, really. Good shoots in both um, countries as well. But uh, I sell more feed into Scotland, so I've, I've <laughs> just sided with Scotland. Oh, very clever, very clever. Very nice. And um, you're, you're massively into your Labradors, aren't you? If anybody follows you on social media, you've got how many dogs, how many labs do you have? Just just two Labradors now. Two Labradors and two French Bulldogs. Oh, lovely. Do the French Bulldogs come out in the field with you, Jamie? They do occasionally, yeah. yeah. The the, the black one, Nan says she, uh, she retrieves. You'll like, you can see that on uh, on some of the social media posts. <laughs> it's like your, um, is it your sausage dog, uh, George, that you've got that picked a partridge this year? Uh, I'd like to clarify that it's not mine, it's my mother's, or <laughs> probably more specifically my sister's. And he, yeah, he doesn't do anything approaching picking up sometimes he'll, he'll look at a partridge and then sort of turn his nose up in disdain uh but he's really more interested in deer if i'm honest he's got ideas above his station i think uh, yeah massively above the station i'd love to see um your french bulldog retrieving a big cock pheasant jamie i think it would be uh be quite uh, quite amusing we've not got to, we've not got round to pheasants yet but partridge comfortably <laughs> brilliant right so uh jamie today we're going to talk about the cost of shooting so if you sell days how do you go about working out a price and same for a syndicate how do you work out what your sub should be and even if you're just running your shoot for fun you still need to have a bit of an idea about what your inputs are going to be so hopefully this will be a useful episode for all shoots of all sizes yeah i'm particularly excited given the start we've had this season jamie you already touched on it the 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 prices what's everything going to cost um i expect you'll have heard lots from uh from clients and friends about um, the cost of shooting this coming season. What what are you hearing? Does it match up with um, sort of what we're hearing? I would have said from me and my contacts, my customers, that shooting on average is going to be three to four pound a bird more expensive this year than last. Mm. Um, obviously, depends on the standard of the shoot as well. If you're a high bird shoot or you know a, a flat shoot in Lincolnshire, but. But roughly speaking, you're looking at three to four pound a bird, and that's right from the the choke downs in Wiltshire right up into Inverness, top tip of Scotland. Um, I'm basing that on, so that that's the information I'm working with. And there are some who are quite substantially more than that. I, I, I've come across a syndicate um, who shoot on some of the really high bird shoots. Um, I think their price has gone up about forty percent. Some of those shoots. Um, be really interested to get into that and work out why that might be later on or um is that an anomaly or or you reckon that's an anomaly jamie i've got one customer that's gone up 11 pound a bird but he didn't shoot last season 
Yeah. So it's eleven pound a bird since a shot from the season before that. So it's not quite quite as bad as what it sounds, really. Yeah, interesting. Right. So I think a useful way to start this conversation off might be just to have a look at what the major cost centres are for a shoot. Um, Jamie, maybe you could try and give us your best guess as to what the big, the five biggest costs are uh, when you're running a shoot. Well, let's let's go on a let's base it on a commercial shoot with with, with one keeper. Yeah, I mean your, your top cost is obviously going to be your wage and your birds, uh, depending how you do it. If you're if you've got one keeper that's doing, let's say he puts twenty thousand partridge down to make it easily, easy. You know, if you're going to get them at eighteen week old this year, they're going to be about a tenner a piece. You know, that's two hundred grand a partridge before you do anything else. And then you're going to have a wage of what between thirty and forty grand. You're going to have a house of, you know, probably around ten to twelve grand. Yeah. Probably two vehicles, a four wheel drive, and a, a mule or or something similar, a gator. Um, and then you've got feed costs as well. So, you know, twenty thousand partridge. If you're buying them at eighteen week old, you're going to need probably ten to fifteen ton of feed to keep them going. Um, and then probably. The same amount, probably wheat and maize as well. So you tot all that up, you've got a big, big cost. You're going to have probably around three hundred thousand, um, to and you've got to drag that back and then make a profit on top of that. So that's twenty thousand um, partridge. You're you're going off for that? Yeah, just just off the top of my head. It's not figures that we've sat down and worked out and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Ballpark. And then if you could shoot forty percent of them, you know, if you've had a good season, you shoot approximately forty percent of them. Um, and then you can work out what you're going to need to be per bird. Yeah, yeah, very interesting, very interesting. So, um, what and what about the smaller, sort of less obvious costs? What are the what are the are there are any other expenses you should budget for as a shoot? Oh, these these, these loads. I mean, it, it could go down. You know, you've you've got glyphosate, uh, glyphosate. You've got cover crop seed. You've got you know uh, drilling of the cover crops, cover crop rent. You know, you, you some shoots are looking at four or five hundred pound an acre to rent a for, for your cover crops now yeah you know it all adds up and it soon adds up and you can go on for it you know new pens you have to build you know build or or repair pens every year could be a few gallon of creosote it could be fuel you know i bet fuel costs now for yeah, um, yeah. an average keeper are going to be seven eight grand a year yeah it's one of those hidden ones that you sort of forget about isn't it hmm? if you do about if let, let's base it on 25 day shoot let, let's base it on 30 day shooting 30 day shooting your beaters and your picker uppers costs are going to be about 25 grand you know it's, it soon adds up yeah so i guess the other thing that you've not mentioned is sporting rights what's the i don't know it's going to vary isn't it but what's the sort of average for sporting rights around the country again it, it depends on your terrain and woodland and arable and stuff like that but it, it could be four or five pound an acre it could be ten pound an acre yeah um i've got customers and friends that actually base it on how many birds that they shoot so they pay a fee on how many birds are shot interesting so there's, there's no rent as such end of the season they sit down with the landowner and they say i've shot x amount of birds at x amount of pounds and that's how they pay their rent yeah very interesting so and i think that that's a that's a fairer way of doing it yeah your, your landowner's taking some of the risk with your keeper if if you have a year like when pandemic came and we couldn't shoot or AI came and we couldn't get the birds, then you can sit down with your landowner and actually, you know, come to some sort of agreement. You're not paying full whack rent that you've uh, signed a lease for. Yeah. Uh, no, that's, that sounds... But it's just, just uh, 
how the world's turning is that everybody needs to take some of the risk. You can't just have one person or one company that takes all the risk. So, you know, your, your game farmer needs to take a bit of the risk. Your shooting needs to take a bit of the risk. And your landowner, where you're doing the shooting, needs to take a bit of the risk. And everybody, if we all work together, everyone should take a little bit of that risk. And when we do get these bad years, because I'm sure we'll get them again, mm. um, then, we're, then we're covered and everyone, you, you know, you're not going to get a game farmer that's going to lose, you know, a million quid and go out of business. You're not going to get a shoot that loses his 350 grand a year income and they go out of business. So if everyone, if we can minimise that risk, then it will make life a lot easier. That's one of the things I've been hearing quite a lot from um, shoots, even shoots running syndicates is, is guns, or trying to encourage guns to spread the risk with them. Um, yes. You know, deposits are how a lot of shoots run their businesses and how they fund their businesses. Um, and without the buy-in of the, the guns, frankly, they're not going to have any shooting come the season because there's no, not going to be any shoots who are going to want to do it out of their own pocket. Um, so it's very yeah. interesting. Um, one of the, I, I thought quite a helpful way to tackle some of these costs would be to go through one by one, starting with, um, feed costs, Jamie, because that's probably your area of most expertise. Is that that's fair to say, isn't it? Yeah. Um, feed costs last year, in particular, with the Ukraine um, situation, became a real hot topic. Um, where do you guys at Mars and see your prices being this season? Is that something you started quoting, or um, or and I guess as simple as what makes up the cost of feed? Why do prices fluctuate? Yeah. Yeah, well, it's, it's a it's, it's a good good place to start. Uh, we're gonna be around about the same uh, price as last year, and I know you, you'll get people out there. The, the most common feedback I'm getting is, "Well, wheat's dropped." Mm. Well, it has, but you know, there's there's naturally not that much wheat in your early stage rearing diets. You know, we've got soya and fish meal, um, and it it takes some getting hold of, and it's not cheap. Yeah. Um, We've also got the premixes that go into the feed that's full of all the vitamins and minerals. I mean, they, they've gone up um, since uh, it all kicked off in Ukraine. So, and that, they'll never come down. You know, it, it's 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 a changing world and we've got to change with it, I'm afraid. it's um, um, It would have been nice for the price of the feed to come back a little bit. But the, the one thing that we can budget on this year is that the price of the feed isn't going to be any more expensive than last year. So at, at least shoots the shoots that buy in, at least they can budget on that. I mean, the the bigger discussion this year is going to be over gas. I think I think gas is going to be a struggle. Yes, that's a very good point. I mean, I, I remember talking about um, you know gas and feed prices of this time last year, and one of the things that became quickly very apparent is that a, a lot of people just don't realise that what we're talking about here is global markets. So. You know what happens in the Ukraine, or you know, could be anything, couldn't it? Could be you know, drought in Australia or fires or whatever. It all has a knock-on effect on the price that we pay for our feed here. Yeah, yeah, everything. I mean, yeah, all depends. It could be China buying a load of soya that you know limits your market a little bit, which means that it pushes the price of soya up, which which all goes on to the price of not just game feed, all animal feed. You know, it could be pigs, it could be poultry. Yeah. Um, and, and all these things, you know, affect whether it's somebody who's going in the shop to buy a dozen eggs or whether it's somebody who's going to buy a a, a, a day's partridge shooting on Eiford Downs in Sussex. It, it, it affects everything. So you're, if, you're, if Marsden's feed prices are frozen, 
um, and wheat has dropped, there there may not be or that there, there won't be any saving compared to last year in terms of the feed costs for your um, grower pellets and um, chick crumb. But you might make some savings later on in terms of your maize and wheat costs. Or do you think by the time yeah, you get there, that might may, 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 Yeah, so, I mean, if you're from a shooting point of view, I think maize will come back a little bit. We looks like it's touch wood going to be stable. So, mm. I mean, if you get your pheasants onto wheat from 12, 13 week old, then you you, you know you, you will have a saving there. You're not safe so much on partridge. They you know they they do eat wheat, but I mean if you want to hold your partridge, they, they want to be on pellet and they want to be on maize on split maize. Um, that's. So you're probably not so much on a partridge shoot as you would a pheasant shoot. That's a really interesting point. There's so much to talk about, but um, but the the idea that you might spend a little bit more on your pellet rather than wheat, and yet you still end up saving more money in the long run because you're holding more birds. Can you go into that a little bit more? Yeah, but it's, it's just what I found from experience. I When I took over Iford, I've, I've tried every different way of doing it you know i've tried to save money here there and everywhere by filling more hoppers with wheat and spinning wheat and stuff like that and we actually get better returns from just feeding but all we do is feed a overwinter plain pellet a two and a half mil um 16 pellet we feed that and we feed split maize with aniseed on and that's all we feed and we we, we shoot between eight and twelve percent more birds every year um and i know that doesn't sound a lot but when that basically equates to an extra day and a half a season. Yeah. Um, so if you put that into your budget, it's yeah, it's ten times more than what it had cost for that extra bit of pellet and extra um, and bit of maize as well. And you, that that's in relation to Ivor, which is a commercial shoot. Where do you see, or, or where do you see that benefit helping a shoot like George's or or my family's shoot at home? Um, it's just the, the more nutrition you can get into any animal, whether it doesn't matter what it is. If you if you've got a partridge and you can keep it fit, healthy, bouncing, it'll evade predators more. Um, it'll be fitter, stronger. It'll be a better sporting bird. Um, you know, you're, you're better off releasing less birds and looking after them better than releasing an extra five hundred and think you're going to get more. And, and cutting corners um it's what i tell my smaller customers and it, and it does work i've run small shoots as well i've run i've run a couple of shoots in the peak district yeah and and i got a bit carried away with it a, a year or two and we put too many birds down but we didn't have the budget to look after them properly and we actually shot no more um the, <laughs> the, the best we ever did it is when we put less down and looked after them properly you do end up with a better flying bird so i think that's a genuine piece of really great advice for our listeners it might actually be the first useful piece of advice we've done on this podcast Digby, <laughs> which is you know if you are a smaller shoot don't think that releasing more birds is necessarily going to improve your bag sizes or, or, or returns you know um if you make sure that they've got all the habitat and the feed and the, the cover that they yeah. need then that's going to have a greater impact than uh and make your shoot better than just chucking a few more birds about would do yeah very interesting i could do with hearing that i've got grand plans for my uh, father's farm shoot at home and uh think it'd be very exciting to put down i don't know however many thousand or hundred um but uh, we should look after the ones we've got so far <laughs> yeah but that, that's the way to do it and then build yourself up Digba. just you know get, get the habitat right that that's the main thing if you create the habitat mm-hmm. where they want to to be you know, you can't just stick 
partridge on to grass. You know, you just can't chuck them onto a grass field or a winter wheat field. You know, you've got to create the habitat. They, you've got to make it that they want to live there and that when you do disturb them and shoot them, that they want to come back. And it all comes into cost, doesn't it? Exactly as you said. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, if, if you are if you have to put down an extra 10% more birds because your returns are 10% worse or, or 3% worse, I think it mass adds up, at, um, you're going to spend a lot more money than maybe you need to. Um, yeah, really interesting. Yeah, I'd rather at Iford put a thousand less birds down and put that extra money that you're saving from that into putting some new strips in and um, and, and, and renting more cover crop and, and creating a better habitat because you, you'll get more reward from doing that than you will do by putting that extra thousand birds down. Really interesting. So on the subject of birds then, um, you must work with a lot of game farms as well as shoots, so you'll be as close to it as anybody. Um, what are you hearing about the cost of eggs and chicks and poults this year? Yeah, well, it's more promising than last year. Um, bird flu does seem to be subsiding a little bit, but, you know, we, we're not to get carried away. Uh, speaking to a vet yesterday who still feels that there might be spikes in, in bird flu uh, over here and in France. Uh so, but yeah, it's def- definitely more promising. There's a lot more stock, breeding stock in the UK this year. I know because I've, I've sold more breeder pellet than I've ever sold. Uh, so I know that we have got a lot yeah. more breeding stock over here. So doesn't matter what happens with France, I still think we'll have more birds in the UK than, than what we would have done last year. Uh, but I am hopeful for what's going to come from France. There's stuff coming from Hungary, Portugal, Spain as well. You know, there's new new markets opening up, so... I think we'll be all right. I think there will be a shortage with partridge. I think pheasants will be all right, but I still think there's going to be a shortage of partridge by the amount of phone calls I'm getting for partridge. Is it a cheeky question to ask what the percentage increase in breeder pellet sales is, or is it something you can tell us, or is it top secret? Oh, I'm massively up. It'll be beyond percentages. I mean, to be fair, I've never sold much breeder Um you know, a lot of the good breeding places are all down south, down in the southeast, the warmer, drier areas of the UK. I've sold a bit up here, but I've, I've, I've probably sold 20 times more than I've sold before, I would have wow. thought, um, if I were to sit down and have really? a look. Yeah. And that's, that's right up into Scotland, uh, Lancashire, Cumbria. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's, there's definitely a lot more breeding birds. So that will definitely affect the price of birds. I mean, um, I'm hearing a range of things. Should we talk about probably chick price is probably the place to start now, but I've heard £1.70 right the way down to £1.20. Um, what is the, What makes it? Um, some farms sell them at £1.70 and some farms sell them at £1.20? What are the costs that go into that? Or is it just a matter of preference? And, and then how does that relate to the cost for the shoot? Uh, well, I'd... I mean, you'd have to ask each individual that, isn't it? I mean, that's the 170, you know, I, I, I'm here at 170 for a French partridge dowd, which I think is fair. I think it's, a, you know, that's if you tot everything up, the price that you've had to overwinter those partridge, you've had to feed them all winter, um, and then you're collecting those eggs. An egg's going to be between a pound and a pound 20, then it's got to be incubated, then it's got to be delivered to wherever you're going to rear it. I think 170 is fair for mm. a, a French partridge. Now, if someone chooses to do it a bit cheaper, then, you know, are they trying to get a foothold in the market? Um, have they done their maths a little bit different? 
you know, they might have a better tariff for their electric. Um, I've got one customer, well, I've got two customers now that um on biomass. So they might actually save money by yeah. being on biomass and not on uh, having to use gas. So there's, there's different things involved, but I, I don't think it'll be far off. One, But, you know, if you base uh, a pheasant on 140, 150 as a dowd and, uh, and a partridge at 170, you're not going to be a million miles off. Yeah, interesting. Interesting. And then so how that how that um, relates to the, uh, to the shoots will be, um, uh, how does that relate to pulp prices, do you, do you imagine? Uh, pulp, well, pulp prices, I mean, a pheasant at seven stroke eight week old this year is going to be around about 650. I mean, you'll hear the odd person selling them a bit cheaper. If someone orders 50,000 of them, then they're going to get them a little bit cheaper than somebody who orders 400 for a little farm shoot. But, you know, a good pheasant, well reared, well looked after, is going to be £6.50. Um, and a partridge around, you know, 14, 15 week old is going to be anywhere between eight and a tenner. Um, you know, probably a little bit older might be a bit more expensive. You know, the longer they keep them, obviously, yeah. there's more cost involved. So, but I, I would budget a tenner for a good partridge that's ready to release. And you compare that to maybe not last year, but two years ago, a partridge would have been what five pounds, and a pheasant yeah, pot six, would have been. We we yeah, we were about six fifty two years ago for a, for a good partridge that was eighteen twenty week old. And then a pheasant at six seven weeks old would have been what four pounds ten four pounds fifty something like that. Yeah, four yeah. to four fifty, depending on quantities. So you can already see where where the costs are, cost increases are coming from. Then. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know that that's why I say for the. Uh, uh, yeah, people would be better off putting a few less birds down and looking after you know looking after them a little bit better. You know, there's um, it's it's a slogan that our marketing guru came up with. You know, every bird counts, and and it really does now. You know, yeah. it's always counted, but you've got to look after them much better now. I mean, it's such a big cost involved. You know, if you're putting a thousand pheasants down on a shoot at six and six and a half quid. You know, it's it's a lot of money for a small farm shoot now, and it just before you know before rents, cover crops, beaters, whatever. Uh, you know, you've got a big outlay, so they they need to be looked after properly. Absolutely right, and I guess the other element that is going to affect everybody, you know, keeper on his rounds, all that kind of thing, is is fuel prices. Um, mm. You know, we've certainly been hearing some things about uh, gas supply, and you know, fill your car up at the minute with diesel it's still pretty expensive um have you been hearing anything about the cost of gas for example or the availability of gas yeah well it was a struggle last year gas and i think it's going to be a struggle again this year um i've, I've heard rumors i've not heard exactly or or you know uh from the horse's mouth so to speak but um mm. you know these this certain gas suppliers aren't going to be supplying gas to game farmers anymore now i'm not certain why that decision is or even if it's 100 factual yet but that's what i've been told but um like i said we've got biomass um that we should be using and and, and game does need to come in you know and get a little bit more modern and get away from wooden sheds and stuff like that and start rearing better birds in in, in using modern methods really yeah, very interesting. And I was speaking with George Davis from the GFA the other day, and um, actually, George, you were on the call as well. He was saying that um, it's quite exciting for game farmers to be able to charge a appropriate rate for their birds this year because it means they've got a bit more money to invest back into their rearing systems. Exactly. Um, 
and that's going to help everybody in the long term in the cost sense. But when they're being squeezed, they're not going to have the the the, the money or the desire to invest in their setups. Um, so yeah, why would you dig there? I mean, why would you um, why would you sell somebody ten thousand pheasants and then wait till February March to get paid for half of them for fifty percent of them? Um, and by the time that money's coming, you know that that game farm has been chased by likes of us and gas companies and yeah. the landowner for their rents if they're renting the place. So, you know, why would then why would they then invest? It's the same for shoots as well, isn't it, Jamie? I mean, if you're running a shoot and you're and you're not making a profit, I know most people don't run their shoots to make a profit, but if you're making a loss year on year, then it's not a very exciting thing to invest in or spend your time in. Um, so you can understand why well people need to be getting a fair price for what they're doing don't don't they yeah you do there's not many people out there that want to rip people off you know it's it's it, it has got to be fair you have got to make a profit if you've if you've got a chap that's investing 300 350,000 pounds into a commercial shoot every year he wants to see a return on that i mean if he's only breaking even then why would he invest 350 grand into that shoot he'd be better off putting it into stock market or yeah doing something else with it you know they, you, you've got to return a profit yeah absolutely i think there's a good time to take a quick pause in our chat to do our regular segment beating noise of the day we're going to play a beating noise that one of our listeners has sent in and then jamie you're going to name classify and rate the noise out of 10 go for it okay yeah so jamie um this one was sent in by our listener Jake, and it also features his son Toby. So it's actually a double header. You've got to do it twice. Uh, what you need to do <laughs> is consider each beating noise, and for each one, give it a name, rate each one out of ten, and then also give it a classification. So, are you ready? Go for it. Go on. Okay, here we go. Hi. 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 <laughs> okay there you go uh so i think before we get on to the naming and everything i think we should probably start with a rating obviously there's two there i think it's easy enough to tell which one's which so which do we think is better father or son oh young lad's got to win that's far more enthusiastic than his dad i've got to say yeah his dad sounds almost <laughs> a little bit embarrassed doesn't he it's just <laughs> feels like a he's little got bit. Yeah, <laughs> got to do it to keep the keep the sun infused. Yeah, I'll give Toby ten out of ten for that one. Yeah, quite right. Very oh, good. very good. And what about his dad, Jake? Oh, I'll give him a six. He didn't seem to be trying very hard. He's he's probably one of these who just stands on flank and don't do very much. I would have thought. No, no disrespect. I don't know him, but that's what he sounds like. <laughs> yeah, but Jamie, remember he's got to take some credit for his son's noise. So his son getting a ten out of ten will probably push his from a six to an eight in his mind, at least. Sorry, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll have Toby beaten anytime. He's dad. Yeah. I'll think about it. <laughs> um, Jamie, beating noises sometimes split opinion uh, among those who run shoots. Um, have you got strong feelings one way or the other about noise in the beating line? Yeah. It's, I mean, don't forget, it's just a partridge shoot, Aaron. We don't put any pheasants down. We've got no pheasants. So you don't have to make a lot of noise. We've got flags just to try and turn them and and move them if they're in the ghosts and stuff like that. But, yeah, there's, there's lots of stuff you notice um, on shoot days. I mean, one of my things that makes me laugh still to this day is, like I've just said, we're just a partridge shoot. 
we put down quite a lot of partridge. Um, we have some big days, but the beaters, as you get to the end, the last, I don't know, 40, 50 yards, the beaters mm. still shout at the guns, partridge, when a partridge <laughs> goes over the guns. As if, you know, we, we're out shooting partridge. And I've stopped saying anything now. I just let them get on with it. <laughs> that is brilliant. That's so funny. But, but yeah, every shoot's different. Um, we don't need to make any noises. You know, we're on the South Downs. Um, once we've got them in the cover crops, we've got them where we need them, really. We just need to direct them and get them where we... Uh, where they need to go. So, what about a, a classification then, Jamie, Jamie and George? You're the uh, you're you're the inventive one, George. What do you reckon for classification? Well, um, what I thought was interesting about Toby's is that it it felt quite naturalistic. It sort of put me in mind of maybe a bird of prey, sort of wheeling up high in the sky, and it struck me that 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 kind of naturalistic sound might actually be more effective than just shouting ho at the top of your lungs um and then i think you know jake's fell pretty squarely into the kind of piratical uh style that we've had before but i think i might suggest a new category for toby's of a sort of naturalistic natural sounds when i heard toby's i it made me think of um a, a lady who's been mugged and her handbags running down the street and it's oi 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 sort of uh stop there come back <laughs> kind of thing what do you think jamie yeah i wouldn't disagree with that i would uh, they're a bit of a take on the old-fashioned ai aren't they they seem to put a bit of a rolling r in there but uh but yeah it could be young toby could have been a bit of a green woodpecker there i would have said oh yeah really nice i like that so we've got a name right there uh Toby's is in the the naturalistic classification and it's called the green woodpecker. Really nice. Yeah, really good. So we've got a rating, we've got a name, we've got a classification. Perfect. Really good fun. Excellent. Does Toby win anything? Yeah, well, you raise a very good point. Obviously, on our other podcast, the Guns on Pegs podcast, uh, everybody who writes in and gets their uh, letter read out on the podcast wins a set of the very highly coveted Guns on Pegs podcast, Shooting Sock Garters. But we haven't yet got an equivalent for the Shoot Hub podcast. Yet, George, yet. As you say, Dibby, yet. Dibby and I have been racking our brains. And obviously the great thing about the, the Guns on Pegs Garters is that everybody who goes out shooting needs a pair. But the Shoot Hub podcast audience is different and people might not have uh, you know quite the same requirement for a set of garters on a sort of day-to-day basis. So we've been really trying to think of what would make a good alternative. So I'm thinking perhaps what we should do is is invite suggestions from the audience as to what would make a suitable alternative for the Shoot Hub podcast uh, as a suitable prize for people who write, who send in their beating noises. And and Jamie, you're you're our fourth guest, and you will be receiving this prize whenever we decide what it is. So. Do you have any ideas of what you want within yeah, uh, thousand, within reason? Pounding cash would be lovely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I thought that would be the case. A new car? I don't know. Uh, a trip to the Caribbean, maybe. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't. I don't actually. But no, I think Toby def- definitely deserves something. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Okay, good. Definitely. So, with that in mind, if you've got a beating noise that you would like us to rate, you can send it to us. You can either send us a. A voice note on instagram via our instagram account at guns on pegs or you can send it as a sound file to pod at guns on equally if you've got an idea for what might make a good prize for those people who do have their 
noises rated on future episodes and indeed the people who've already been featured do also send us an email to pod at gunsonpegs.com with your suggestions. Brilliant. Brilliant. Thank you, Jamie. Right, let's get back to the sensible stuff, shall we? Yeah. Um, so p- uh, we chatted before about costs uh, of shooting, looked at the costs of birds, looked at the costs of feed and various other bits and pieces. Um, with a particular focus on a commercial shoot, Jamie, how would you um, go about costing up your shooting as a little fun knock-around shoot like George's or, or, or mine? Um, or maybe as a, a syndicate trying to work out what shoot subs they're going to charge? Uh, well, that's the, they're actually the easier ones. You just take all your costs and divide it by how many guns you've got in the syndicate. I mean, that That's simple. I mean, that's there's no forecasting to do. There's no um, guessing how many days you're going to do and how many birds you're going to shoot each day and stuff like that. You just basically get all your costs, everything, and divide it if there's 10 of you in the syndicate and the shoot costs 10 grand to run. And it's a grander piece of year. And what happens, um, or do you have any experience of when uh, some people maybe want to shoot slightly bigger bags and some people want to keep it, the cost down? could be a tricky one to navigate, and I think that's going to be particularly tricky this year. Yes. Do you have any advice for a syndicate shoot um, and how they get that balance right? Well, in my experience, it generally falls to one, maybe two people in each syndicate to do the vast majority of the work. Uh, and mm. I would say it's down to them that's doing the work. Uh, you, you will get people this time of year saying, oh, I'll be up and they'll come on work days and stuff like that. Reality is it never happens. <laughs> so the one or two people that do all the work, they need to make the decision that, you know, I'm going to put this amount of birds down because I've got time to look after that amount of birds. Yeah, that's a very good way of looking at it. You know, when, when it gets to July and you're chasing around like an idiot, dogging pheasants in and the bloke who's paid the exact same amount of you hasn't been up once it's it yeah it grates on you a little bit so i would say it's down to the person that's really in charge not to let it run away from us. i suppose another way of looking at it might be to turn it around and and basically add up what your and work out what your budget is so and uh, then work out what you can achieve with that budget so you know say you've got a syndicate with 10 guns and you're each putting a grand in you've got ten thousand pounds to spend um and then it's pretty simple, isn't it? You work out what you can achieve with that money. Sorry, Joe. Yeah, if, if you want 10, 50 bird days, that's, you know, 500 birds. Do, do you return 30%, 40%, 50%, work your returns out, and then you know how many birds that you're going to have to release, and then you know your cost and you can do it that way. Yeah, and, and that's maybe where what you were talking about earlier in terms of, you know, looking after the birds that you've got may turn out to be a better investment than, than buying a load of extra birds. Yes. That's it. That's 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 what I mean. Back get get your habitat right, George, because it's don't only just benefit your pheasant, your partridge. It benefits all your little farmland birds and red listed species and stuff like that, which shows shooting in in a in a good light and how it should be. You know, if you if you could put an extra cover cropping, uh, full of tritty yeah. kale and sunflowers and, and millets and stuff like that, it'll benefit so much more than just partridge and pheasants. Yeah, absolutely. I, I want to ask you a question on that later, actually. Um, but whilst, whilst we're on the, on the, on the topic of cost, what if you were, um, I guess I've had a few conversations with commercial shoots who are looking at the numbers, um, and it's hard to justify it. Um, they're, they're sitting down, they're budgeting at the minute and they're saying, well, we'd have to charge, I don't know, 10 pounds more per bird this year to break even or to make a little profit. Um, I just can't, we, our guns won't pay that. What can you do or what can you suggest to a shoot like that? to bring some of the costs down. Um, is it a case of 
reduce the number of days or reducing the bag sizes or, or, or um, yeah, what do you suggest? It's, it's actually the opposite. If you want to reduce cost, then you've got to shoot more birds on a day. So if you have a 200 bird day or a 400 bird yeah. day, it's the same amount of cost for beaters, hospitality, picker-uppers. So if you can double the amount of income you're getting for that day, then you will make a bit more money. Um, so it's, it's actually the opposite way to, to, to save money and make more money. You've, you've got to shoot more birds on a day. Um, and, you know, you can then charge your client a little bit less for a larger day but it's it's not that much of a saving but you will save them some money mm. yeah that's really interesting and uh, one of the things that we see on guns on pegs is that there's a huge demand for you know kind of 100 150 bird days but the the reality is that you know at that size of bag it just the numbers just don't stack up for the shoot operator it's just not worth their while putting that day on because it doesn't cover the cost of putting the day on if you see what i mean no no do, do, it doesn't work and yeah they'll they're, they're end up being it's a shame um but they will end up being a thing of the past because it's just not viable putting these small days on anymore it's a real shame and it's something i was looking into the other day i was looking at how many of our shoots who so on, on guns on pegs it's free to advertise um and then if you want to push a little bit more um uh, and go out in a newsletter, for example, you can pay to advertise in a newsletter the days that you list on on Guns on Pegs for free. But um, I was looking at the the shoots that are paying for newsletters over the last six years or so, and how many of them are still um, operational. And uh, it's really clear to see the smaller shoots, the ones who are shooting the 100, 150 bird days, are, are no longer shooting commercially, or they've gone bigger, as Jamie was saying. Um, and it is a massive gap in the market. And I always say to um, new shoots starting up, if you want to be sure of selling your days in your first year, um, off, offer them at 150, 200 bird days because there's such a, such a gap in the market that they'll go no problem. Um, and then you can look to increase it year on year, um, which is, yeah, a, a, an interesting thought. Um, there, there, there are other ways of offsetting costs, Jamie. What about... Um, uh, additional things you can look to increase your revenue on a shoot um, if you're finding things tough at the minute? Well, one of the best ways, depending on the amount of birds that you release, is to rear your own birds. You know, you get yourself set up with a decent shed. Look at alternatives. Don't, you know, there's there's a lot more than gas that you, uh, to rear on. There's biomass, there's electric ends. You know, look at alternatives. Get some solar panels up. Um and you, and you can you can rear your own birds and you will save yourself some money. It might take three or four years to drag back that initial setup, but if you know if you're putting fifteen twenty thousand birds down, then you can save yourself a considerable amount, which will give you you know you can roll that over into your shoots profits. Mm. And what about things like you know boundary days and duck flights? Is there any mileage in people putting those kind of things on just to supplement the coffers a bit? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean that's yeah. It can still be done. I mean, it depends. You know, walked up days don't cost anything to put on, so there'll always be walked up days there. You know, you can get six, seven, eight lads do a walked up day. You know, you you could charge them uh, a grand a day for a good day for I don't know for for thirty, forty birds perhaps, um, and that's you know you could take them on parts of the shoot where you wouldn't normally do. So that that's an income. Um, without any outgoings the the trouble is for a 
if you want to do a 100-bird boundary day, you've still got to put a team of beaters and picker-uppers on. So you're still you're going to be looking at a cost of probably six to £800 a day yeah. um, of outlay. And so if you sit down and look at it, you'll probably be better off doing a fair few walked-up days and you'll get you'll get more walked-up days in than you will boundary days as well. Because um, you you're, you're not really disturbing the ground the same. You'll get a chance to shoot more species. You'll get a chance at woodcocks night partridge you know it's they're just better days yeah. that's my point of view i mean if some people will disagree i know they will but that's just my uh my theory yeah i think it's probably worth saying that you know i think probably since covid um that there does seem to be more interest in those kind of walked up rough days than there was before i, I think that's right isn't it diggers yeah i think so it doesn't suit us though george because that's the sort of stuff we enjoy doing uh, so <laughs> leave some for the rest of us. <laughs> yeah. So if you're a syndicate, say that's looking to try and you know bring the members subs down a bit by maybe selling a day here or there, again you run into that equation of how big does the bag have to be to actually turn a profit and for it to have the desired effect on on the shoot's bottom line. Yeah. If you just sell a hundred bird day just to try and bring prices of your subs down if you were to do the maths and work out um, you know that means that you're going to put an extra 300 birds down and it's uh, an extra day of beaters and picker uppers and stuff like that you're not really saving anything mm. you'd be you'd be better off asking the syndicate if they want an extra day and chucking a few quid an extra yourself because uh, basically it goes back to what i've just said about you know if you're going to start having let days then you're putting more birds down are you going to look after them properly have you got time to do it uh, and and you start creating yourself headaches now if you've got a nice small syndicate where you shoot with friends and family then i would say keep it like that and just put a few less birds down and look after them better rather than um chasing chasing an income to try and supplement everything yeah really interesting so jamie we, we've mentioned it a couple of times before um conservation i'd imagine that there's a lot of people who look at the idea of sort of actively doing conservation and think well that's just another cost is that how you think about it or do you think about it a bit differently yeah well it's it's not a, it's not like it's an additional cost it's it's a it's something that you need to do. If, like I said before, if you create an habitat, create something that's like McDonald's for pheasants and partridge. <laughs> so they wanna they they wanna go there. They want to they want to be in that little strip. They want to be in that little cover, that little sunny spot. And you know, if you do things like that, everything that you do will benefit some species or another. Whether it's butterflies, whether it's insects, whether it's uh, yellow hammers or a curl you nesting site or stone curl you or Whatever, whatever you do that benefits pheasant and partridge, there will be a byproduct to it, which um, which promotes and shows shooting how it should be. Yeah, absolutely. I and and if you can put an extra acre of seed bearing crops in, um, then all well and good. And my other advice would be not to not to have maize as a cover crop. I you know I, I don't grow a, a single stem of the stuff. It's um, we put all seed bearing crops in. It reduces our feed bill, and like I've just said, it's like McDonald's for partridge. You know, they they love it. They love being in there. You know, and I'm not going away against anybody that grows maize. I, I know it works, and I know the reasons why we use it because I've used enough of it in the past. 
But, um, you know, I've got the best part of 40 hectares are just seed-bearing crops now, and it and it just it transformed it, and it's transformed it for wildlife as well. You know, we, we leave bare patches for skylark and stone curlew. We've got stone curlew nesting down there, you know, and, and we know it's a healthy habitat because of the amount of birds of prey we get. We get everything from marsh area to short-eared owl to Montague's area. It's it's like um, it's a it's an oasis. It's a migration oasis where we are now. Jamie, I use you all the time as an example of of someone as a commercial shoot who um, makes it work commercially and yet has one of the most fantastic um, biodiversity I've ever seen on a shoot. I t- can you tell um, our listeners a bit about your your A4 sheet you keep um, of uh, of birds you've seen on the shoot? Yeah, yeah, I've just got a clipboard in the Kawasaki Mule and I just, I've actually got a bit more technical from last year. Oh, really? <laughs> I actually tap it into my phone now. Oh. But I, I did used to have an A4 sheet just, just in the mule and every time, every species I saw, I recorded where 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 we see it, what it is, male, female uh, and approx numbers. Uh, and it just built up and it built up from 50 odd species and then we changed from growing single uh, species crops to, to growing these mixed crops that we do and um, we average seven, between 78 and 82 species a year now of birds and I mean it, it really is just yeah and the South Downs is, is a beautiful place mm. but it's quite uh, a barren desert it's not really full of different species it's quite a lot of grassland and um, you know it's a very it's just a monoculture and we, we've gone there and, and we've We've changed it over years, and it's just, it just boomed. I mean, the, the amount of wildlife you get up there now is, is, is just amazing. And like I said, you, we get Montague's area stopping there every year. That's so cool. And it was really interesting what you were saying about the, the maize and so on, Jamie, because here on the farm shoot, we had maize for years and years and years and years. And for this season, uh, just gone, we switched to a wild bird mix. And I mean, it's not very scientific, but it certainly felt like we held on to the pheasants a bit better than we have done in the past. Um, and but the real thing, the real major difference, yeah. were the just clouds of songbirds that would come out of each drive before the game birds came. You know, just absolutely clouds of them. Like it was almost like the sky went black. You know. I tell you what, I, I just just thought I think we should rebrand wild bird seed mix in the shooting world. I think we should call it gamekeeper mix or something like that um because it's uh it's it would you know i think people hear wild bird seed mix and think why am i feeding the wild birds um cynically or we want to be feeding our pheasant and partridge which is entirely the wrong way to look at it i think if we called it gamekeeper mix then even those who are stuck in the dark ages and don't want to you know um do their bit will uh, <laughs> will be one around um which would be bright cellar mix that's called pheasant and finch that is actually you know it's geared up for pheasants and, and finches your small farmland birds i was thinking of a product called something like jamie's choice <laughs> see if you can persuade the marketing team at marzen's to have that um jamie uh, that that'll not go down too well the mix we use at iford is is called that that's called the iford mix and you know we, it's our bespoke mix and and that's what we use yeah yeah very interesting um and Tell me what the guns feel. I mean, should the um, when you come to your conservation product uh, project, um, what impact does it have on the guns who visit? I always like to think that where I'm shooting, the the 
the landowner or the shoot manager or the gamekeeper is a genuine countryman um, or woman. And um, I imagine that reflects strongly in how much the guns enjoy their days. Have you seen a bit of that over the last few years? Yeah, it's, it's probably our clients have probably changed since since I've took over a little bit. Vast majority are really interested. And the amount of people that come and ask you after a drive, what bird was that? What were those clouds of brown birds? And, you know, and they do. They, they're genuinely interested. Uh, and and yeah. people, what, they, they want to know, you know, what are we planting to attract these birds? And, and I, I'll happily show anybody around. You know, I take dozens of people around every year and show them what we do. And they're not always shooting people. They can, it can vary. But, um, yeah, happy to show anybody around at any time. But, but yeah, most, most of our clients now generally think along the same lines as us, you know, and, 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 and they like to see that their money's, you know, not just being thrown into run a, a commercial factory operation. It's, you know, it's done. We're doing everything for the right reason. You know, the best yeah. byproduct ever of our partridge shoot is that we've got schedule one species nesting there. We've, you know, we, we, we've got thousands of meadow pipits and what follows them meadow pipits is merely. You know, we, it's, yeah. a, it's a real nice overwintering area now for Burley. I actually love that 40 hectares of wild mix um, and it's cost effective and it works for the shoot. It's so oh, very cost effective. Yeah. yeah. And it has reduced yeah. our feed bill a little bit, which isn't that good for me. Um, <laughs> yeah. and what, and what I do on and where we've been shooting, I'm up, I always open the crops. Let's look what they've been eating. You know, and you, yeah. you find out a lot then, and I've changed my mixes to suit to, to, to suit that really. Do you think it changes the taste of a bird? Um, what they've been eating? I've always wondered that. I, I honestly, I wouldn't know. I mean, if they were eating some herby sort of stuff on the marshes, then perhaps I would have thought, you know, some of that um, bog time and stuff like that. But not not the stuff that we feed. I don't think. Not unless we yeah, started growing fennel. <laughs> yeah, we, we should start that. That'd be great, wouldn't it? <laughs> I've got a question yeah. that's feed-related. It's one that's bugged me for ages, and it's this. Aniseed, uh, why... Does anybody know why pheasants like it? I think they'll like anything that's got a little bit of something sweet to it. Um, I think the aniseed smell is as much for me and you... George, um, as it is for, <laughs> for for anybody else, um, but yeah, I think if you can make uh, a piece of wheat which is generally quite dull and spice it up a little bit and put a bit of nice smell to it and a bit of sweetness taste to it, then you're going to make it more palatable, aren't you? Yeah, I'd wondered whether the scent just made it easier for them to find it. You know, they can they can smell it from further away, so it's just easier for them to find the hoppers. Mm, yeah, possibly. I mean, yeah. I mean, we, we have done some tests. I mean, a, a lad I work with, Duncan, um, he'll tell you what he's done and, you know, which hoppers that they empty quicker and the ones with a bit of, not necessarily aniseed, I think we call it a spice. Ones with spicing yep. do get emptied quicker. Um, so I, I definitely think there's a palatability thing these there. And I think they can smell it. They're not like a mammal where they can smell something, not like a dog that they can smell something 100 yards away. I think a pheasant yeah. or a partridge, they'd have to be quite close to it anyway. Um, to me, I think it's more palatability than 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 a, a, a smell. Very interesting. I've always wanted to know the answer to that as well. Um, okay, I think that's a, a very good place to, to finish off. But before we do, every episode, we're going to finish with the same question. Um, Jamie, if you had the power to change one thing about shooting and everybody had to comply upon pain of death, what would it be? Ooh. You run every organisation. Um, everybody's going to listen to you. 
and it's going to change forever. That what do you every, reckon? Yeah, every low ground shoot um, probably should, you know, work out the size of your shoe and a percentage of your cover crops have to be seed bearing, not just a monoculture of maize or, you know, it, it's got to be a, a you, if you grow 100 acres, then let, let's say 20% has to be a seed bearing thing. Um, and they do something similar in Denmark, actually. That's if you're going to release birds in Denmark, you have to grow so many hectares of seed bearing crops. And I, and I think it's actually it's a, it's a fantastic idea. Yeah, I mean, what a what an answer! Yeah, brilliant. I would absolutely love to see that. Would change our landscape entirely, wouldn't it? Oh yeah, I mean, we 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 more shoots that I go on produce more farmland birds than than any nature reserve in the UK. I mean, I've, mm. I've had people who work for the RSPB come round um, Iford and actually turn around to me and, and just they're blown away by it. And it's nothing mm. technical. I'm not a a whiz or anything like that. I basically take all these people's money and and chuck a little bit more than I should do at the crops. And 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 we've got a great farm manager as well. I mean Ben. I mean he's forward thinking. He's you know from his point of view, you, most farmers would like to grow maize because it's you can put put chemicals on it. You can keep it weed free. You know, yeah. and if it does go back to growing cereals at some point, which it probably will do, then it's easy just to to get it back into that rotation. But you know they they're quite dirty what we um when, when we grow these seed crops uh but that's a good thing for wildlife it's a good thing you know if, if you yeah. get thistles and nettles and you know everything loves it it's it, it's just geared up for everything so yeah that'd be mine make 10 20 percent year cover crop seed berry bring it on make uh make jamie the chairman of the the country yeah <laughs> make him prime, prime minister. minister yeah yeah Great. Well, I think that's an absolutely fantastic place to to finish off. Jamie, thank you ever so much for joining us. It's been absolutely fascinating. Yeah, thank you, Jamie, so much for making time for us. Really interesting. You're more than welcome, and uh, thanks for having me. See you all soon. Right. That's your lot. Please do get in touch to let us know what you thought. You can email us at pod at gunsonpegs.com. Please also do get in touch to share your favourite beating noises with us. Uh, and do let us know if you've got a suggestion for a suitable prize. Uh, we'd also love to get your suggestions for either or questions that we can ask our guests. Again, the email address to send all that stuff to is pod at gunsonpegs.com, or you can send your beating noise as a voice note to our Instagram account. That's at gunsonpegs. We will be back very soon with another special guest, but until then, stay safe out there, and thanks for listening. <laughs>